Let's continue to talk about sibling rivalry. It's time to value the birthright on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. I want to continue on with my series on sibling rivalry. This is actually part three, entitled Value the Birthright. I did have to take a little bit of a break last week uh, from this series because of the school shootings that took place and the importance that we stop and pause when these things happen to really discuss the root cultural issues. And I'm happy to report that I think Senator uh, Ted Cruz is actually listening to my podcast. (laughs) He probably isn't. I guess I don't know that he isn't. But he uh, released an article Uh, This last week, entitled, GOP Senator Ted Cruz of Texas Blames String of Mass Shootings on Absent Fathers. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that before? I believe it's, I believe he is so right on, and we talked about that at length last week, that it's really fatherlessness is sometimes at the root of our identity problems and our anger issues, and it's not gun control It's the person who is holding the gun. And the solution to relationships is fathers and mothers. It's it's intact family units. And it's, of course, connection with our Heavenly Father as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when we know our identity, everything changes. We now have something to live for. We now have something to fight for. We now have something with purpose in our lives, which is what children today are lacking, and it's absent. Because they're being taught that in school. School has a real problem, a real fundamental problem. They teach that we formed out of a primordial soup with no purpose, that we're no better than the animals, and then they get surprised when we act animalistic. (laughs) We teach that moral values are relative and then we get surprised when they act outside of a acceptable social moral code it's like knock knock pudding head i mean what what are we missing i mean obviously when we teach our kids that there's no value in life whether it's through uh, abortion or or the the um the glorifying of, of violence and killing when we when we have a culture that tells children that then we get surprised when they act violently and have no respect for life. It's it's a cultural issue. It always is. And the answer is a father, and the answer is identity. And so Ted Cruz was echoing what I said on my podcast earlier in the week, that I believe it's fatherlessness is, is one of the most sinister cultural problems that we're facing today. 
And so I want to stay on this family theme as well. I, I don't believe that the shootings were completely uh, a tangent off of this topic because it's about whole intact families, it's about taking care of each other. In part one, we talked about Cain and Abel and my, my brother's keeper. And we understood that the Lord really answered that question. It wasn't just a snarky, uh, smart-alecky type answer. But he was saying, the blood of your brother has cried out to me. In response to the question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, you are his shamar. You are his keeper. You are his keeper of life. And that that sibling relationship was joined together supernaturally, out of your control, (laughs) to create a relationship here on this earth that is supposed to strengthen and encourage one another. And then last week I talked again about, or two weeks ago, I talked about identity part two and used the prodigal siblings as the example that the one who was lost was found, was dead. He was alive. And the father embraced him and brought him back into the environment of family where he could be healed and he could be restored. And the older brother also had an orphan to place in him, separated from the, the truth and the value of who he was in the father's house. And he felt like he just needed to perform for his father when he didn't realize that all that he had was his. And so the importance of celebrating each other, when we overcome that orphaned place in us, we actually see each other as, as additive, as, as, a, as a, a catalyst in our lives to do great things. And that's why the Lord, I believe, put us into sibling relationships. Well, part three is entitled Value the Birthright, and I want to talk about another famous sibling relationship in the Bible, and that's Jacob and Esau. See, this story is really, in my opinion, about restored inheritance, and, and we have an inheritance, of course, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. But I believe this has to be equally important that as things are mirrored here on earth. I think this has to be equally important to the fact that we have an inheritance as a son of Adam or as a daughter of Adam. It results in completeness. When we understand that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and that we are sons and daughters of Adam, that there is an inheritance found in both. And the key to unlocking that inheritance, which was the case for Jacob, was to value the birthright and value the identity of what he was born into naturally here on this earth and into families. So according to the custom in the area, um, going back to Genesis chapter 25, A man could actually sell his birthright to his brother. The birthright meant the headship of the family and a double share of the inheritance. But because of a direct revelation from the Lord, Rebecca and Jacob understood the importance and power of the birthright and the blessing. And they pursued it. I think Jacob gets a bad name. I think he's actually one of my great heroes in, in Scripture. And people oftentimes interpret his story that he's a stealer and that he, that he surplanted and he took um, what wasn't his. But I'm saying that's exactly what he did. He took what didn't belong to him because he valued it. And that's, I believe, the way the Bible interprets it as well. Let me go to the story. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? 
But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And then it has an interpretation of the story, which is interesting. And it says, so Esau despised his birthright. My friends, Jacob was a man who understood the position of his family in the realm of history. And it takes a special man to see it while you're in it. Sometimes we look back at history in our lives or in our ancestry, and we can see the importance of certain events or things that took place. But Jacob was living it, and he and his mother recognized the fact that there was something that belonged to him, something that he didn't see that belonged to him, but he saw the value in it, and he took it. And, you know, we always say, well, Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. Well, that's the Latin word for Jacob. That's after the story. The Hebrew word actually means to be to take by the heel or the one who has taken my place, which I think is the more prophetic name for Jacob because he saw something valuable and he took it for himself. He saw the value of the birthright. He saw the value of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made it his reality. And because of the lack of value that Esau had for his inheritance, he actually sold what was rightfully his. Jacob actually saw the importance of the birthright, and Esau sold it for a bowl of soup. There is a sadness about this, and and we, with our justice Western mindset, we read these stories and we kind of go, oh, well, that wasn't fair. Jacob deceived him and tricked him uh, out of the birthright and ultimately out of the blessing, as you're familiar with that story. But the Lord didn't see it that way. He didn't punish the deceiver and restore the victim. In fact, they said Esau despised the birthright. And it gets further evaluated in Romans 9.13. This is New Testament now doing commentary on an Old Testament story. And it says, Jacob I have chosen, but Esau I have rejected. Why is that? It was because of the value of the birthright. There are other interpretations, um, other uh, versions of scripture that's even harsher than that. And it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So what's going on here? That doesn't seem fair or just. What's going on is that the Lord wants us to sit in a seat of value for what he has placed us in, which is called family. And we have these sibling relationships that have been given to us for purpose and for power and for edification, for strengthening, and to take this world for his kingdom. And he's given us these relationships to allow us to be strengthened to actually do it, to accomplish the mission that he sent us forth to accomplish. And if we sit back and say, well, you don't understand my siblings. They're a bunch of idiots and they're mean and they're cruel and the things they've said to me and uh, I, don't, I don't talk to them anymore. And, and uh, we have parted ways and we see each other on holidays and then the rest of the year we go on with our life. My friends... That is despising the birthright. That is saying, yeah, Lord, I know what you've given me, but I've moved on. What value is that to me now? It's what Esau said. And are we willing to sell the birthright? Are we willing to give away what belongs to us and the importance and the value of family? 
And here's the deal. There's, there's two real salient points to the story. One is the value of the birthright, because when, when Jacob received that birthright, things started to, to escalate. Things started to uh, move and uh, with greater power and speed in the family. And they began to actually redig the wells. It says in Genesis 26, 17, Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. This was after Jacob valued his birthright. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. My friends, I believe that we are actually living in a season of redigging the wells. Once we understand family and the importance of, re- of relationship in family, that things actually open up, the things that the enemy has actually stopped up in your life and in your family and in your family line, uh, the Father wants to redig those wells so that your family can actually drink from the wells that were yours, that were named for you, that were named for your family. And I don't believe that this is just some sort of metaphorical, cute little connection that I'm making. No, there was a timeline here. He valued his birthright. The wells were redug, and Jacob then received the blessing and moved on to become Israel, the land in which the Messiah would come and save the world. There's a domino effect that takes place when we actually value the birthright and walk in what the Lord actually created for us. And things are open. And I'm not just talking about... Um, a, again, a metaphorical picture that things were closed and now they're open. I'm talking about generational inheritance that's yours. The enemy doesn't want you to understand that you actually belong to something that actually carries an inheritance as a son of Adam. We have to appreciate that there are generations after generations after generations of inheritance that actually belongs to each one of us and our families. And if at any point sin or bad decisions or, or wrong thinking has moved our families away from his perfect plan and the enemy has deceived us and told us that this well is no longer accessible to us, that is a lie. And the father is actually wanting to redig that well so that you get to once again drink from that inheritance. And I am talking about gifts. I'm talking about abilities. I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about talents. I'm talking about the things that should have been passed down from you. But because of sin and because of the enemy's deception, you we actually haven't received it yet. But I believe wholeheartedly that God is a God of restoration. And this is what he's doing right now. And this is why I'm so fired up about this topic about siblings, because I believe it's an untapped resource. There's a resource for us that if we would only tap into it, the kingdom can move in a stronger and more powerful way as families demonstrate the power and value of the birthright. There are things worth redigging. And if you don't see the value in it, you won't pursue it. I understand that sibling relationships can sometimes be painful and have been painful. And there's fear of further pain. I get it. But you have to understand and appreciate the fullness of the value for which it was created. The Lord has given something for your family and it's irrevocable. We just have to receive the inheritance. And we actually receive the inheritance by valuing the birthright and connecting with our family and bringing restoration 
to what he has for us and our family name. I have an inheritance as a son of the Most High God. I have access to all heaven. I'm his ambassador here on earth. You've heard me say that a million times. But I also have an inheritance as a Clausen, as a family member of the Clausen family. And it means something. It means something now. It means something to my children. It meant something before. And it means something in the heart of the Father that placed me in this family to begin with. And I'm grateful for that. So the story goes on in Genesis, and I believe this gives us really to the second salient point of this message and, and perhaps the most important part of pursuing restoration, is that Jacob went through a transformation, a process, where he not only valued the birthright and he started to receive the inheritance, but there was a work that took place in his heart. And his heart and his affection began to once again turn towards Esau. Now, let's be very clear. Esau wanted to kill him. <laughs> Esau was not happy with how this all went down, as you can imagine. And so this was a very strained, distant sibling relationship. Jacob became Israel. Israel became the nation that fulfilled God's promise. But something happened in the heart of Jacob where he had value for his brother Esau. And he began to anticipate the reunion <laughs> that would potentially take place and the volatility that may occur because of what had happened. In Genesis chapter 32, it said, The sun rose and Jacob looked up and saw Esau with his 400 men. Could you imagine his heart became a little tachycardic at that point? And Jacob had a plan which involved giving of multiple gifts and bowing before his brother and coming in low and humble before him because his heart had changed. And it said Jacob followed his plan, sending all the gifts to Esau. They were goats and rams and camels and cows and donkeys. Then his family divided into two groups. And lastly, his dramatic seven rounds of bowing, all in effort to mitigate the situation. But this is what happened. It said in chapter 33, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. My friends, this is a powerful verse. We don't know what happened in the heart of Esau. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what happened in Esau that he could forgive like this? We know the story of Jacob's transformation, but not so much about, about Esau. And the only thing that can explain this is that he too was transformed by God. You see, the Holy Spirit is really good at transformation. He's really good at melding hearts together, especially important hearts like this. The last time we saw Esau, he wanted to kill Jacob. Now he runs to him, kisses him, and weeps with him. My friends, if you're listening to this podcast, could I hope that that would be the position that you would take towards your siblings? It says, then for Jacob, 
or it's, it was written, imagine his surprise when he expected to be confronted with a sword, but instead received a kiss. Imagine, I believe that's a cultural changing perspective. I believe that's a cultural positional place where we can actually live. Whereas when somebody expects a sword, instead they get a kiss. My friends, that's how we receive restoration. And all it requires, in my opinion, is a very dangerous prayer that says, I am willing. I've released three parts about the importance of sibling relationships, that they're ours, that we actually have been placed here to protect life, that we have identity, that we can celebrate each other, not from an orphaned place, but where we actually see each other as additive in the kingdom. And we can value the birthright, what we've been born into, and that we can come in low with forgiveness in our hearts and actually, instead of bring a sword, we bring a kiss. And we offer restoration and wholeness to these relationships. So let me give you some practical steps. If you're thinking about a a sibling relationship right now, even listening to this podcast, that needs healing and restoration. Number one, unforgiveness towards yourself. You need to forgive yourself. It always takes two to tango. And it's very possible that you were part of the problem. And you can forgive yourself so that when you go and confront and be part of the sibling's life, that you're armed only with love. Number two, don't go as an orphan. You have to settle this inside your heart because orphans look to each other to try to meet a need that only a father can fill. And so when we connect to the father's heart and to his love, he satisfies us so that we don't look at our sibling and we have that sucking sound where we're trying to draw something from them that was never theirs to give us in the first place. Number three, make sure that it's safe. Not every relationship is safe in its current form. It might not be restorable in its current state, but it is never out of reach. Never. You may need to seek wisdom from others or from mentors and a strategy to to knit this relationship back together again. But again, if you don't know it's important, you won't do it. And number four, and this is hard, don't expect anything in return. You can't go feeling like you're owed something. You need to approach with their debts already forgiven. I believe Esau demonstrated this beautifully. Jacob tried to pay him off, (laughs) either with humility or with donkeys. I don't know. But really what Esau came, he set down his sword and he greeted him with a kiss, with the debts already forgiven. And the sibling relationship was miraculously restored. My friends, let me just pray with you. Heavenly Father, I just release a spirit of restoration over everyone listening to this podcast now. And if there are strained sibling relationships (coughs) that are represented here to my listeners, Lord, I just, I just release a spirit of restoration, a, a spirit, Lord Jesus, where, where the, the spirit of division is overcome. And Lord, I just pray that we can all set down our swords and just be armed only with a kiss and affection for those that you've placed us into and into relationship. 
So if that's you, just receive that blessing today and the courage. I'm going to ask you to make contact if you haven't talked to your sibling for a while. If you're younger and you're home and you're living with your sibling, would you purpose to connect with them? Speak words of life and encouragement. Give them a kiss. Ew. <laughs> it wouldn't kill you to give them a kiss. That could happen. It's my pleasure to come before you each and every week. And I thank you so much for listening to my heart on sibling relationships. It's so important to me and it's so important to the kingdom. And it helps bring restoration and power and life over the face of the earth. Please go to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org, and leave any comments or questions. I always appreciate your feedback. I love you very much. Now let's go together now to set and shape the culture. Thank you.